Welcome back, friends and fellow philosophers and authors to this Wild Isle writing cast. I have back with me Brad, also known as Wraith of the Kings of Wrath. How are you doing, Brad? <laughs> Pretty good, thanks. Um, and not to be pedantic, but it's King's Wrath. Oh, King's Wrath. Oh, I got it wrong. How could, I'm so embarrassed. King's Wrath. You can find the music out on YouTube. Look them up. Uh, power Metal. It is awesome. I did not appreciate the uh, the genre until uh, Brad here exposed me to it, and I'm very, very happy that he did. Uh, have you come out with anything else since the last time we spoke, Brad? No, just the demos we have on YouTube. We're kind of stalled right now with needing to put a full lineup together. But uh, you know, as soon as uh, as soon as I as soon as we have something else ready to go, I'll put the word out. Awesome! I cannot wait for it, and I'm sure the rest of our listeners cannot wait either, or for this podcast for that matter. But you're going to have to because it is time that we shill very shortly uh, before we get into the bureaucratic death of magic. Before then, I'm going to direct you all to wildiolit.com um, for a number of things. Uh, first and foremost, you can check out my novel, Wand Smoke Broken, weird fantasy fiction, Western-esque American twist literary thing. Look at that. It's awesome. Uh, a bigger announcement, though, is I have just... Uh, added a few new or really redesigned packages for my editing service. So I have two streamlined packages that are similar to what I've always had, uh, word count, uh, line style edits, and theme-focused edits uh, for a set chunk price. But I am now also able to offer a subscription service. So if you are someone who benefits from having somebody else you know, keep you in line, keep you accountable, um, and you want someone to help coach you through your writing, going over a small, smaller chunk where you don't have to pay as much up front. You can hire me for that over at the Wild Isle Style Guide. Other than that, we have podcasts over there, blogs, aphorisms, which uh, the past couple weeks I'm kind of proud of. Uh, Brad, by the way, also writes aphorisms. You should check those out. Brad, why don't you show some things? Where can people find you and, and check out your work? Aside from my band, which you've already mentioned, I really don't have too much to shill. I guess my, um, I guess I can mention my Minds page again. It'll be minds.com slash codename Wraith. Uh, side note, I have read One Smoke Broken. I'm working on a review of it, which should be posted there by the time uh, by the time this podcast goes live. So if any of you want to hear my thoughts on, or read my thoughts rather, on on that uh, that book, that'll be, uh, be, be over there on my Minds page. And please do, oh, friends, fellow philosophers and authors, tell or don't tell. But you can tell me what you think of what Brad thought. I hope Brad won't roast me too badly. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see it, really. Thank you so much for reading. Uh, without further ado, let's get into today's topic. So the bureaucratic death of math, uh, magic. Are magic systems still magical. I think, Brad, before we can really begin this conversation, we have to ask and answer the question, what is magic and what is magic in fiction? So when I say that word magic in the context of fiction or a story, or uh, we can extend this onto film or games or whatever you want, uh, what is magic? I think to answer that, I could probably just go ahead and refer to an aphorism I wrote a little while ago. You saw it, you would have seen it on my Minds page on my Instagram. Um, I'll just read it verbatim. This is pretty much my condensed thoughts on what I think magic should be in fiction. 
What is magic? Often an attempt to manifest one's will to power or the service of a greater one. Regardless of intent, what manifests will be an accurate reflection of the magician's soul. Some are strong or self-deceiving enough to cope with this truth, others not so. Thus there can be no banality or mediocrity in magic. Its execution can only be demonic or divine. If we want to go something a little more, I guess, uh, cut and dry, I went ahead and looked up a dictionary definition where one here on Wiktionary the application of rituals or actions, especially those based on occult knowledge, to subdue or manipulate natural or supernatural beings and forces in order to have some benefit from them. You know, both of those are really, really interesting uh, in the same way and are actually, I think, very different from how a lot of listeners might be conceiving of magic right and i actually the both definitions that you gave uh line right up with where i eventually want to jump into uh yeah my the first one my aphorism is really my condensed as as condensed as it can possibly be my thoughts on what magic should be and then of course you have a basic dictionary definition which might be more broadly applicable for lack of a better term it can be but actually uh uh, maybe I should dive in right here first. Okay, so there is a, a tight overlap between your aphorism and that more traditional definition. Uh, so I guess before we talk about fiction specifically, let's, let's, let's really dive in with this with magic because I think it's a really interesting conversation. So when it mentioned the occult and the appeal to beings outside oneself to gain some type of benefit, right? That is actually not typical, I think, of magic in fiction, but is really typical of historical practices of magic and magic as it appears in mythology and folklore quite a lot of the time. And I think there is a through line there that I'm going to throw out to you. You can tell me if this makes sense to you. But the idea that magic as it manifests across cultures across time as being an appeal to a thing external to the self is in a weird way the i don't want to say positive that's not really the right word it's one side of the dialectic that your aphorism points out right because your aphorism talks about the let's say magician's soul and his will to power and how that manifests and one line of the dialectic, I think, appeals to that which is outside the self, right? So that which is the object, as opposed to the self, which is the subject. And I think the other side of that dialectic is the appeal to the subject. And we could get into subjectivity and objectivity um, here in a bit and how that relates to a beneficent uh, appeal to magic or a uh, let's say, nihilistic appeal to magic. I know these things probably sound totally out there and disconnected um, before I wrap them all together. What do you think so far? Do you, do you see the, the little threads in the way that they're, they perhaps are touching? I'm not sure I do because whether trying to channel magic, whether that's an actual, actually an external thing or not, I guess depends on what setting we're talking about. You know, where, where in some settings it's going to be 
like my aphor, I think I think I mentioned in my aphorism, yeah, divine or demonic, where in some settings it's going to, in some settings, you know, some forms of magic will be from God, some will be from, from the devil. You could look at Star Wars, for example, where they cite the Force as this strange, otherworldly thing, where it's it's outside of you, but at the same time, you know, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi's words in in A New Hope, where he says it, the Force, it surrounds us, it penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. So it's almost like it's getting at a we are all one sort of thing in there. So, yeah, I'm not sure where to go with that. All right. Well, let's see if I can wrap these these threads together then, because this I didn't expect to have this thought, and it's it's uh, it, it is not intuitive. So, let us think of magic as being too uh, being represented. Let's say in fiction, we'll, we'll even tie that in in two different ways, because I've noticed that magic can either be a kind of uh, wish fulfillment and power fantasy in a sense, right? Like the ability to do that, which one just can't do in real life. Uh, I have, I've spoken to people who have said to me explicitly that their, the appeal of magic and the appeal of fantasy to them is precisely that, that they can experience a sense of power or uh, secondhand, of course, or that they can see wishes be fulfilled. But also, I have seen magic be a kind of symbolic explanation, right? You really see this with uh, mythology. When you, any any folklore thing where the supernatural or the, the magical elements are really there to help explain something through the connotation of the symbol itself. And it and by doing that, it is making reference to the truth of reality rather than presenting a setting that is opposed to reality, right? And uh, without having to go on too long, I think actually that the idea that the magic can be an appeal to the external world, the object, uh, it can be... A, to forces that are beyond ourselves that we hope to benefit from but ultimately don't have control over. I think that lines up with the, the idea of the myth. I think that I, lines up with the idea of the you know world as a place which has a transcendent, objective, fundamental backstop that binds us all together like the force, right? Like there is a thing that transcends our individual desires and, and wills and experiences versus a kind of, uh, let's say, black magic, if you will. And black magic is not really applicable to a setting. Don't think of it that way. Think of it in terms of the, the dialectic, right? So you've got magic that is presented in the setting merely to, let's say, indulge the reader in pleasure in a fantasy that does not teach them about the transcendent world through the connotation of symbols, but teaches them to escape into a world that doesn't exist, into a nowhere, right? Um, as Because the magic in the setting allows them to pretend in the subjectivity of their minds that they are somewhere else. Does that make a little bit more sense? I was hoping to articulate that out and make those connections a little clearer. I believe, I believe it does. You're, you're distinguishing between the more traditional 
view of magic and folklore, whereas you say it's meant to be analogous to something real. It's meant to teach a lesson about the real world. Um, whereas I guess, I guess in a lot of modern stories, it can end up being really just little more than shallow wish fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and do you think we should then have, we should outline perhaps two different definitions of magic? Because very clearly we're not talking about the same thing with each one. They seem to be in, effect, in fact, quite opposed to one another. So, uh, so if we, we play on your aphorism, right? So go ahead and if you would give us, uh, give us a definition of magic that is symbolic and a, a magic that isn't. How would you, if you had to sum each of those down into like a single sentence, if you could, how would you do it? You really put me on the spot here. I'll go, how would I'll go first and I'll do one. Um, I'll do, I'll do the, uh, the sim the symbolic and I'll, I'll throw the wish fulfillment i'll give myself the trickier one so uh, there is one type of magic that appears in fiction and that type of magic is uh the let's say symbolic and connotative uh or actually i'll flip those around one definition of magic is the connotative symbols that convey the that help to convey the theme of the work in which they are set and are and while literally are opposed to how our reality works they are figuratively in accord with how our reality works something like that i think if i had to to give one the connotative symbols that make up a meta narrative there we go i think that that boils the one down connotative symbols that make up a meta narrative and we'll say that's the the old the folkloric type of magic and if we had to go with the other the more shallower the more wish fulfillment one uh you want to give that one a shot while you take your time to to boil that down listeners think for yourselves how would you out there define this type of shallow indulgent magical escapism to give a brief and not very well thought out definition, I would say that it, it depending on depending depending on how it's handled, it could be something like an expression of the author's own will to power. If that makes any sense. It does make sense. Uh, could I could I prod you into going on? Mm, I I I to think about it. I'm not great at coming up with these things on the spot. Uh, no, it, it's it's perfectly fine. Uh, It'll get easier once you dove deeper into Nietzsche. If you guys don't know, uh, Brad has picked up a little Nietzsche reader book, and uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, you can thank but, or blame Marquise for that, depending on your view. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think you actually hit the nail on the head, right? Um, we just need to specify it a little bit. So I think uh, if we boil down our shallower, perhaps more modern sense of magic, it is the uh, wish fulfillment of the reader and perhaps the author's will to power, um, let's say, <laughs> let's, go, let's just go full Nietzschean about it. It is the moral slave's will to power. That's what it is, right? Because it is a, a view of the world in which 
the world is deficient and it is made better by the uh, wish fulfillment there, you know, put there. So it's like how it's like saying the world is not as it really should be and it really ought to be how it is represented here, right? Uh, according to my will, how I want it to be. Again, pulling back to the subjective. I think we'll get more and more into this as we further the conversation. I'm sure the people out there listening are like, what is this deep philosophy? I thought we were talking about magic systems, right? Because we haven't touched on the system part of this conversation yet. So when I attach the word system to magic, how does that change things? Well, it, it suggests you're setting up a, for lack of a better term, a set of rules and regulations around magic, too. So you're specifying exactly, you, you're, you're categorizing the powers. This is, Again, this is something I probably should have thought of beforehand to, um, I've thought of a better definition of beforehand. But it seems to me it's sorting different expressions of magic into different categories in order to more rigidly define what one is capable of at any given time depending on what you know what their power level is and what resources they have to work with i think the reason one might get so um rigid in how they define these things is to keep that power level um is, is to keep things to prevent things from spiraling out of control because if you don't uh, if you don't have limitations on magic, that, that it, it can easily become capable of of, of, of anything, and then your your story on it, it completely falls apart because then you can start asking questions at any given point. Well, why didn't they do they, they do this? If they were capable of doing it here, why didn't they do it there? And so on and so forth. Yeah. So the system part of this is the the limitations, essentially the borders of possibility. Um, now. We, I'm sure you're familiar with the terms soft magic and hard magic. Are you familiar with those? Basically, the hard magic is more outward and obvious, and soft magic is um, more subtle and a little bit more vague, not not so strictly defined, or at least is not um, capable of as much. A quick quick example would be, um, you know, Darth Vader in, in Star Wars. That that hard magic is what he does is. is is very is very obvious you know you force choke and, and throw things around and this sends people across the galaxy and all that whereas uh, you've uh, something more on the side of soft magic you have would be we be gandalf and lord of the rings perhaps uh, i definitely see gandalf as being soft right you're never quite sure what gandalf is or is not capable of in any particular given moment uh though you might say the same thing for darth vader if you're just watching star wars for the first time um i don't know that the limitations of his powers are very restricted at all um and i think it's only the fans who have come after the fact and logged okay what are every force power used and then now we're going to say these are the things that can be done with the force type of deal Right, because it's what we've seen be you know been done, but I don't know if you just yeah. have the first. Because that's the problem with Star Wars is that Star Wars has had is that the more people get their hands on it, the more the Force gets expanded and what it's capable of. You know, where it's 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 George Lucas. I think Lucas films were pretty were were pretty sensible about respecting the limitations of the Force. Where you know it's 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 this vague not very well defined thing that's kind of beyond our understanding but we can tap into it now and then in in, in 
sometimes subtle, sometimes more grandiose ways, depending on how practiced the force user in question is. But um, I'm trying to think of a think of a good way to uh, segue this. I, I mean, I mean the like I said, the George Lucas films got really a handful of powers you've got a handful of things the force is capable of it's like the basic telekinesis the lightning for the sith magic and choke and um some sort of vague sense sensory thing i don't know exactly what to call it um but but then in the sequel films you have oh and now well now we can now we can heal now we can force heal now we can we, we can Skype chat over the force. Now we can send send objects across vast distances. We can we can teleport things for some reason. You know, you you, you have to respect the limitations, or else things are going to spiral spiral out of control pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, I'm not quite sure that it is the expansion of what the force was capable of that might have been the issue as much as the uh what's the right word let's think of it this way right so we talked about um the whether or not the limitations are up to the subject and his desires his will to power or whether the limitations are bound by symbolic representation and I think what we see within the let's say the first few films is that the force powers used are used to be meaningful in some way, right? Like what the force does is it let lets one move things out in the environment. And it is kind of in accord with uh what the characters are like in their particular morality, right? So when you've got Luke picking his ship up out of the swamp. Um, he is, let's say, moving obstacles out of his way or moving things that uh, he needs into positions where they would be useful, right? He can move things in the world, which is exactly like someone who has uh, achieved a level of competence in his life, right? He can get things where they need to be. Um, he can propel himself when he needs to. That's like when he does his like the the jump with over the the pit. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, that uh, Boba Fett falls into. Uh, Star Wars fans are going to kill me for that. Uh, but Star he Black has, Pit. yeah, the Twilight Pit. Um, but he has this uncanny ability to do something that, in a sense, if we start speaking figuratively, that real successful heroic people have the ability to do. And Darth Vader's not, you know, very different, right? Like, he has really the same set of powers with the way that they manifest. The choke being really symbolic is the ability to strangle someone in a frightening manner, right? Um, the, let's say, seeming immunity to attack right uh that's when he stops the uh, i think it's uh, lando's shot at him uh and you do see people who are like that these villainous people in the world who seem to just get away with uh let's say terrible circumstances and seem to be able to kill you uh without touching you right they give the order and you die um it is merely their, their will and I think that culminates in the idea of, uh, let's say, lightning uh, with Palpatine, right? When you've you've got the raw expression of rage and wrath 
um, you know, essentially he's like an evil wizard and he's wielding um, a weapon of the gods against you. I think that those things make sense intuitively and don't really need any explanation. And I actually don't even know that there is a need to consciously limit them because they they just intuitively make sense. I think this concept of limitation, it reminds me quite a lot of game balance, right? Uh, like it, it starts to remind me of including numerics. And I actually think um, when magic systems in particular, if we want to think of them that way, the more systematized they become, the harder they become. And the harder they become, the the more they are strangely prone to the very problem that they are meant to solve. Um, have I gone off on a limb here? I know I've been talking for a long time, but but tell me what you think. I think what you're getting at is is when you try to lay out those rules, you inevitably end up expanding them further and further and further to you know to account for every possible manifestation of every magician's will. Yeah, it, it's essentially um, <laughs> this is a, this is a fun problem, uh, Brad. I don't know if I've asked you this question. How uh, how many, if ever, uh, tabletop RPGs have you played? Old school pen and paper. I have actually never played one. That is a shock to me. Um, this might be applicable for other type of games. Um, uh, uh, the question I'm about to ask. So, um, do you have any friends who happen to be like obsessive optimizers and power gamers? That mm, I really know of. Not. Not. Not really. Uh, well, uh, I don't want to be rambling on too long, but I'll have to use an example from mine. I, I do. I've had uh, a few, and one in particular who I have in my mind, and if you listen to this podcast, you know who you are. And when we get into this problem where a system, when you try to systemize a thing, it actually becomes exploitable. It's not exploitable if it is ethereal. Um, but if you have hard numbers, someone with an autistic love of system mastery will figure out how to utilize that to its nth degree. And if you are not careful, let's say as an author, um, you very well may naturally fall into that exact problem where because you've because there is a very hard line and okay here's how the magic works uh and it's capable of this and not these other things you run into a conflict in your plot let's say and what you end up doing is thinking in terms of how is it that my characters can master the system as to uh you know essentially power game their abilities to overcome the obstacles in front of me and I think that thought process um, is why why you get this type of uh, expansion, actually, right? Because it's like, okay, well, we've got the Force. Let's use that as an example. And the Force did not really seem to have any boundaries put upon it. So it seems to be the ability to uh, 
have let's say energy and the and then the the intention of the uh the user put upon it okay well uh, we've got these particular powers, right? So we've seen the lightning, we've seen the telekinesis. So all of a sudden now the force is being categorized into specific powers. Well, surely these aren't the only powers that the force could do, because why would it be? So because we've already started to systematize it, we've, we've opened up the idea, well, the force probably should, if I follow it logically, be able to do more things, right? Like why can't the force heal right it would make sense if it ha if we have a system of powers that it would be able to do that why can't the force uh alter someone's mind why can't we send messages across space like well if i can shoot lightning what's to say that it can't teleport something too because we're thinking about it in terms of let's say instead of what is the significance of this thing it's like well if I don't have a reason now to say that it can't do this, then, well, generating a new power out of the system, well, that's just how these systems work. I might, I might be, might be stretching it a little bit with Star Wars, but I do think that that mindset is uh, what leads to the expansion, as opposed to it being, uh, as opposed to it being soft. Reflecting on this, I, I realized earlier I kind of kind of contradicted myself where I referred to Star Wars in, as an example, hard magic, but then also talked about the, the vagueness of it. I think um, backtrack there. A better example would probably be like like Harry Potter would be obvious hard hard magic because you know it's, it's very obvious that there's there's a lot of magic. There's a lot of different types of magic. There's a lot that it's capable of. Whereas I, probably Star Wars and the Lord of the Rings would be would be better examples of soft magic where it's only used very circumstantially and heavily dependent on the person wielding it at the time. Yeah. So that, that, that might be a, a, not the, not the greatest example. If we move to literature though, um, are you familiar with Shad M. Brooks shadow of the conqueror? I've heard of it. I've not read it. Um, uh, let's think. How about, um, uh, any of Brandon Sanderson's works? Mm, not read any Sanderson either. Neither have I, uh, but I do know that he has given quite a number of lectures on soft and hard magic systems when when to use which. Um, now, with his hard and soft magic uh, system guidance, if we will, uh, Sanderson outlines that the softer the magic, the less it can be used. Well, according to him, the less it can be used to resolve plot conflicts, but the harder the magic is, the more it can be used. And his argument goes that if you have a very hard magic system, um, the ingenuity of the characters utilizing the magic system as a, essentially a set of physics and resources is enough that it it has a, uh, let's say, satisfying payoff when they overcome the conflict. Whereas if it's a soft magic system and magic is how they uh, resolve a conflict. It just feels like a wizard did it, right? If you're familiar with the meme. I heard of that meme, but um, I can understand the point being made there. Yeah, and it, it, it really seems to make sense um, when you first hear it. I, I, I thought, okay, I, I buy into that. Um, but as an author, I actually don't think, well, I don't think it's correct. What do you think? Like, it definitely sounds right. What's been your experience? I have to think of the, about that myself because I'm taking a 
in the story I'm working on now, I'm taking more of a soft approach to magic where there's only a handful of people that are capable of it. And what what they're capable of depends highly on them as a character. Um, so as to the point of, you know, because I'm not sure how many of the... There's probably at least a few plot points that hinge on you might call magic. But as for the point about, you know, a wizard did it, I'm, I'm not sure I'd have to think about that one. Yeah, well, I, if I think about this, right, so um, I, unfortunately, uh, look at us talking about magic and, and neither of us has read the works that we're talking about, but I've seen uh, the first of the um, Hobbit films, uh, and one thing that struck me about uh, that film, uh, actually, I think I may have seen the first two. doesn't matter. The point is that uh, anytime Gandalf did anything, it did, in fact, feel as... Brandon uh, Brandon Sanderson warned against, which is kind of arbitrary. Like it, it seemed like sometimes he was capable of really great feats, and like other times, he had to resort to hitting someone with a stick, and that wasn't at all clear to me as a viewer um, why he would hit someone with a stick now, and then like make a giant shockwave later. Um, however, as an author, when I deal with this problem, I actually notice, just like you pointed out, you tie in the character to the magic quite tightly, right? So it means that the character and the character's development and the limitations imposed on the character uh, in the setting and in relationship to the other characters in the plot actually provide a set of limitations that provide a, a natural intuitive set of boundaries for the soft magic um, that I'm sure in the, if I you know read the, the Hobbit novel, Gandalf's limitations of magic are probably bound up in the same way that just didn't get, uh, let's say, shown on the screen. I know that's very common of a problem. Uh, but it does seem to me that just like we outlined at the very beginning of the conversation that once things start to get symbolic, once they start to become embedded in the meta narrative, the borders and the limitations are essentially like that which corresponds to the real world in some figurative way. And it, it just makes sense. And you don't run into... Um, a lot of these problems that you might run into with hard magic. Now, I know that we haven't we haven't read a whole lot of hard magic systems. I'm going to go back to Shad and Brooke's Shadow of the Conqueror. And the reason why I want to go back to that book is because it has a very, very, very hard magic system. Uh, so much so, actually, that I suspect that Shad himself might be um, uh, a tad Autistic, maybe, maybe he's just like hyper, <laughs> hyper. Con no, I'm not. I don't mean that dispar disparagingly, but what I mean oh, I is, it, yeah. The, in fact, I think a lot of the critiques of his book, um, they're they're valid, but a lot of it, a lot of them come down to that this kind of autistic way of thinking about um, writing, where he really, really, really explicitly describes how the magic works um and it sounds like a video game 
And it sounds like a video game in a number of ways, right? So uh, in Shadow of a Conqueror, the magic system is tied to the light, which is basically God, and people have a, a number of bonds to the light to, if, if they happen to have these bonds at all. Most people don't, but some are lucky and they get them. We're literally getting into numbers now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally numbers, right? Like it's almost as bad as a lit RPG. Um, <laughs> and 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 you start to think like, okay, what does that mean? He's got four bonds to the light. And then each bond he can link somehow, because I don't know what it means to link one of these bonds because now we're talking about a non-material entity that exists does it exist in the body is this like mind body dualism but like light bond body dualism because they link to physical attributes but the physical attributes are conceptions that we have of human uh, of as human beings of things that we categorize in the real world so like he could link a bond to his speed but like you can already kind of see where this is going wrong, right? Because what is speed, right? Speed is not its own thing. Um, or he can make himself stronger. Uh, he could make, uh, let's say, himself more perceptive. And then it even works like as a multiplier. So as he puts one bond on an attribute, if he stacks another bond, it doubles a previous number, right? So it's like an exponential growth. Um, and... He ends up, uh, spoiler alert, alert uh, he ends up fighting someone who's essentially as strong as him, and he ends up beating beating them by uh, figuring out that he could link his four bonds to his skill as a swordsman, which in real life is normally impossible to get up to, uh, let's say, the the fourth power of, you know, more skilled than someone because we get this kind of diminishing returns, but then he can predict every single movement and become such a much better swordsman. It is impossible to defeat. Um, and it's really unsatisfying, right? Because it's like, so, so we just played like building a D and D character basically, and then putting your buffs in the right spot. And therefore I win. And you can see how what that did is we ended up by putting hard, hard, hard limits on how the magic worked. We ended up with the most overpowered character in that way, right? It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't that the magic was soft. It was that the magic was hard. And then therefore, we get into this mindset is how can I exploit this to the absolute advantage Right, right, yeah. The more, um, the more regiment, the more regimented you get, and you're thinking your approach to that, the more likely that is to to occur. Yeah, I can think of exceptions though, right? Like, um, I can I can reference Shad's work as well, where he has this whole system of like light affecting dark stone and the way the gravity works, and so people build ships uh, using it, and it's really interesting, actually. But now we're almost talking about like science fantasy. Yeah, that goes now into we're... That goes into magic kind of replacing technology or magic being becoming something analogous to technology. It's almost taking a really uh, scientific approach to magic when you when you start breaking things down like that. And I think that's mm, there, there's there's got to be some mystery there, something something mystical about it, something other otherworldly. And as I said, my aphorism, divine or demonic. I don't like the 
the, the, the one area where it probably works is alchemy, but aside from that, I think a scientific approach to magic is, is ill-advised. <laughs> I actually have a bugbear about alchemy, um, because as far as I can tell, like alchemy typically is like magic chemistry, uh, as it's represented in a lot of fantasy. Um, and that's exactly wrong, right? Like, uh, like I hate to say this, but like full metal alchemist, how they do alchemy is way closer to how actual alchemists did alchemy. Um, like they were still dealing with like um, different elements and chemicals or whatever, but they they really they really were like drawing the freaking circle and like summoning the demon so that they could converse with it, and it was like all this occult practice while you were throwing like maybe a couple things together, but it was fundamentally and also they believed like you had to freaking transmute your own soul and and like elevate your soul to a higher plane in order to do the like the actual alchemic alchemy here on earth which gets lost i'm not apotheosis i I don't know what that is or am i thinking of something different it may be i i need to do more research into alchemy specifically um i have a tertiary knowledge of it from yoon but i have some particular books specifically about alchemy uh, from yoon along with the actual like I've got like the Corpus Hermetica and then a bunch of other old alchemical books that I need to read. Uh, I've tried to get into them before, but it's literally an acid trip. Like I think some dude like Turk or, or God or psilocybin and then wrote the shit down. And like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, which is actually why I think there's a lot of rich symbolism in there, by the way. Um, so, so if you want to be a modern day alchemist, like, take DMT like hard and then ask the elves like how to make the philosopher's stone and just write it all down. That's the case. Um, Joe Rogan's going to live forever. If or if he figured out that's what he needs to ask, ask the elves, one of us need to get on Joe Rogan and tell him <laughs> that what he needs to do new is DMT or maybe psilocybin because it'll last longer. Like DMT typically free base is like 15 minutes, right? I don't know. I've never used any of these substances, even though I, I kind of want or to. I, I swear, officer. Uh, no, I'm, I'm unfortunately like the nerdiest straight edge. Well, I was a kid and then as an adult kind of stayed that way. So I'm lacking no, in the what? transcendental. Yeah. I, I'm uh, envious of the elucid, elucidian mysteries. Um, well, at least the hallucinogenic part, not so much the like sex orgy part of that particular ritual. Um, yeah, that's how, that's how things get out of hand. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, back to <laughs> back to to magic, right? Um, but yeah, I I didn't want to just bash all on hard magic because, you know, if we read a science fiction novel, um, I do think that that is in a sense the kind of hard magic that we were just talking about. Like, because it's like magical technology. It's technology that has an element that we've kind of added into it to make it work or really just didn't describe to make it work. Um, would you think that's a fair comparison to compare hard magic to how the settings of science fantasy stories are constructed? Or science fiction, rather? Sorry, hard magic and, and science fiction? Yeah, I think essentially at their essence, they're the same thing. I guess in the in the sense that it's a 
that regimented approach that you're taking to things and trying to yeah that, that, i guess that would make sense if if you think of hard magic as uh, as i alluded to before the scientific approach to things where you're trying to very rigorously categorize and define everything and what it's what it's all capable of i guess you could argue there's a similar mindset going on going on there yeah it's it's like the magic is the physics of that world right and science fiction it's like well here's the physics that are extremely similar to our world except that there's something that's different that allows the technology to work that doesn't that we don't go into right or there's something that seems to get around the physics as we understand them and that but the rest of it is hard physics um then that that actually begs the question why is it that we run into this exponential problem with some hard magic systems or really I, I think we could really say that all magic systems as soon as we enter that word system are ma are hard magic i think soft magics don't have systems i think so soft magic is symbolic and hard magic is magic systematized but it I seems like agree with that yeah right it just kind of makes sense when we say it like you know uh the question is like, why does that work in science fiction, and why does that not tend to work in more fantasy? It even works in science fantasy, for that matter, but it does not seem to work so much in uh, these kind of modern. Well, I say it doesn't work so much. These books are some of these books are extremely popular, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about at all. But oh, if guys. I do, yeah, right. If we're if we are correct in our uh, pretentious um disdain for a lot of hard magic in the way that we described it what's the difference you know why does it work in some settings and not in more fantastical settings i think because in the case of sci-fi you're still tethered to the laws of reality i mean that, that that's a poor way to phrase it but I would struggle to think of an example in sci-fi where you can essentially make something happen out of nothing because that's kind of that's kind of what magic is in a in a more if you're talking a high fantasy hard magic setting kind of just the more the more you the more you try to add to it the more you try to add categories and powers and you keep expanding on what it's capable of then you, it it balloons into well, it can do anything at any time, and that's the problem I alluded to before. It can do anything, anywhere, anytime. Whereas, you're not essentially just you know, one shit out of thin air in sci-fi. That you're generally not going to run into that problem because it's still got to be based in material reality. Whereas magic isn't. Yeah. Oh. You just you just clicked it together for me. So are you're familiar with the idea that a bureaucracy, once it comes into being, it will very quickly stop serving its function and its function will then become to perpetuate itself? Yes, I too have heard of the of the FBI. <laughs> and the CIA and now and the NSA and now we're dead. Um, <laughs> um okay, I got a few but, uh, a few tools within reach. <laughs> Uh, I need to get mine out of my bedroom. All I have right now is a sword. Um, <laughs> I guess it, it's my more. yeah. I guess in my tiny apartment, it's just as good. But um, but yeah. So that idea of the bureaucracy, I think that 
when it comes to say something like science fiction, even science fantasy, naturally there is um, a a desire for the quote unquote hard magical element to be very, very, very constrained and very subtly implemented and then essentially like not left to to be developed on and not to be excessively focused on. And so it stays small, right? It's sort of like uh, the idea of a like how you would hope a, a bureaucracy would would function. But there is something about the more fantastical that once you and perhaps it's because the setting itself is I keep thinking focus on the fantasy, but that doesn't seem exactly right either way. What I'm seeing here is once your magic system is the centerpiece around which conflicts are resolved, it's like the center tool. It's, it becomes a tool that gets so big that naturally it grows like a bureaucracy and it gets out of your hands because its desire is itself to expand. Uh, because that's what systems do, right? Like the system, as it, 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 maybe you have this experience as a writer, like while you're in the trenches, while you're writing, you're not going along, you might be going along with an outline, but a lot of the time it's like the thoughts come to you. And if you, and you, you know, you give the characters in a sense, your agency to write them, like you sit in their bodies and then you you go to make them believable. But what if we do that to the magic system? Like we give the magic system our agency as authors, right? And then if we if we do that too much, like a bureaucracy, it just grows so that it becomes the story and the story goes by the wayside. Mm. I, I found that problem actually my myself where the setting for my first book, which I'm really no longer developing, I was trying to, I was trying to do, do, take that same approach to, to categorize magic, and I found, I, you know, in, intending to narrow it down to, I meant to have just like four, four or five or six categories of magic, kind of like what's in the Elder Scrolls, where you've got you know, destruction, alteration, illusion, and so forth. But it's it's like, oh, but, but then what about this possibility, and what about that, and yet then you end up with six categories and then each of them having three different subcategories and and yeah it just it just it just, it just gets nuts yeah it just happens right like it just like it wants to happen because we we want to understand it um you know i i started to encounter that a little bit with my own work with wand smoke and you could tell me if i was able to avoid it um what i tried to do was i tried to say okay the human, the, the characters in this world try to categorize magic. But I, I, as soon as I started, I thought they are wrong. Like, I, I'm assuming that everyone, everyone, as they try to describe magic to the reader, they don't know what they're talking about. So they're talking about one thing and they are trying to define it in a way that's useful to them. And therefore, their categories are always a little bit wonky. They're always a little bit not exactly correct and overlapping. Uh, and I was my hope was when I did that, it wouldn't it it wouldn't feel arbitrary, but it would also not feel like a system. Like it would feel like 
they're trying to make this a system, but there's no bureaucracy here. Like, do you think uh, for Wand Smoke in particular, I was able to uh, convey that? I think you did. Um, with with a point of people trying to define magic, you've got was was it is it the Apothecaries Guild or one of the guilds that ends up setting up shop in the South where they're they're doing all kinds of experiments all the time, and then Canty, who's just you know sitting by himself in a cave, he ends up essentially becoming more powerful than any of them, except maybe perhaps Dom Domnall, but I'm not familiar with the extent of his power. Likewise, you have the uh, the the champions of the church where they have some magic they're capable of. But their understanding of that power is completely different to what Canty's understanding of his power is, except for some maybe some some philosophical parallels that I recall he ends up um, making with one of the champions. He he ends up expressing the idea in such a way that the, the one of the champions is able to understand. There's some <clears throat> overlap between the ideas, but like you said, it's not going to be categorized. It's it's not going to be strictly categorized in the way the people practicing it wish it would be. Yeah, right. Like so, the the champions, the shield maidens, are like uh, here. This is the will of the divine. So you might call it like divine magic. And the Conti is like, yeah, I think that shit might be a cult too. <laughs> and I think the yeah, yeah, back to our, if if you want to tie it back to our previous uh, conversation when we talked about truth, where um, I think in a way, how I express this best. It's it's all them fighting over fighting over the truth essentially. With the, you know, this is the truth of this is the truth of power, or this is the truth of my power. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because it parallels something that I, I think of, I experience a lot, and you probably experience it quite a lot too. Um, for those of you who are really here for the writing, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but it ties right in. Trust me. Um, so. Over on uh, the Wild Isle Discord server, the Wild Isle Workshop, I have a little section called the Grand Salon, and sometimes really um, spicy social and political conversations happen there uh, when it's too late in the evening and I really shouldn't be posting anything anywhere because I my inhibitions go down in the evening. Uh, but we, you know, we have some fun conversations and one of our friends posted a clip of Yoon talking, and we started talking about the concept of enantiodromia. And one of our good friends, um, be, who happens to be a, uh, like, I think fundamentalist, like creationist Christian, who I really like, brings up the seven deadly sins. And then with no trouble at all, um, let's say me, the weird, I don't even know what I am. I like, ostensibly I'm an atheist, but like, I, I, I take a lot into the, I give a lot of credence to the symbolism and I tie that into psychology. And then also like Jordan Peterson would be like, you're not an atheist, you believe in God. Uh, or you act as though you believe in God. And I'm like, all right, Jordan, I don't, I'm not really attached. You believe you to... believe in God, bucko. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, there's some there's some parallel there, right? Where he brings up the seven deadly sins and I'm like, yeah, that works perfectly. And like, here's the situation I just laid out worded within the the context of the sins and then what that means is that there's something external to both of us right that our friend would call god that i actually i'll call i'll call call it god too if anyone wants i'm not really attached i don't really care at this point in my life uh <laughs> but right but like if i if i wanted to be secular about it i would say like the objective reality if i was taoist i would call it the Tao. it doesn't matter to me um 
but there there is the idea again coming back to the source of soft magic that there is a thing outside ourselves to which we can be in accord with to gain essentially benefit from because we're navigating in alignment with it as opposed to against its will and you see this overlap of what should really be conflicting let's say in our case in real life religious beliefs and if we are in a fantasy universe it would be like we come from different like schools of magic but then the schools of magic should conflict and then don't you see what i you see where i'm getting at with that like how that that well, I think where we're arriving now is at the uh, is at the Joseph Campbell uh, argument the hero with a thousand faces where it's 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 a it's a thousand different ways to express the same ideas that are core to our humanity. Yes, and I think that that is what soft magic is in fiction. Think I'm overstating overstating that. Soft magic is the hero with a thousand faces. Yeah, it's it's the same spirit that that animates the hero across thousand faces it's the appeal to that is which is which is the thing outside ourself right it is the uh yeah oh i could go on and on saying the same thing over and over and to add on to that i would say hard magic is often the construction of an akulakon if you've played morrowind which is the akulakon is a uh, a giant essentially steampunk robot that the dwarves are building to conquer uh, the whole island and set themselves up as gods, right? And I think that's what hard magic is. Hard magic is the the robot that we can set up so that we can system master it and it can solve all our problems. But it always gets out of our control. You're onto something there. Maybe. I don't know how useful that'll be to the authors out there listening. This is kind of a, a more wild podcast. Uh, <laughs> is that that's quite all right. Uh, so, I have in here like a a kind of which do you prefer question, but uh, it sounds to me that we both kind of land quite firmly in the soft magic camp. Yeah, like um, like I said, that's that's the approach I'm taking to it myself, and the stories I currently have in development, I especially given. Well, what we've touched on in this conversation, I don't know that I would try my hand at hard magic. Yeah, it sounds. Uh, why don't you go if you're comfortable a little bit more into the uh, what was going to end up being like a foray that was getting to hard that it seems like you moved away from, right? So you were like, okay, I'm coming into this. There are like six different classifications of magic, and then you started to see, oh, okay, this is getting out of hand. What, what did what what was that like, and what did you end up doing with that? It's hard to remember because it was so long ago. I just remember jotting it in from I think it, I think I might still have it in the notebook. It's written in nearby. Because um, it was it was an attempt at trying to define what magic is. I actually gave an answer for what magic is in my first book, um, and then trying to categorize what it's capable of and going into this going into the same problem we've, we've talked about a couple of couple of times now where i would try to try to break down all the categories all the different things it might be capable of and and then it's like oh no now i have a dozen different categories what am i going to do with this um and that made kind of just made it look like a fool's errand yeah and i've i've read too many books where that that does end up being the case where 
like you you realized as as you were looking at it, it's like okay, this is just too much, where people just put it all out there and it drags. <laughs> it's like slow. It's very slow reading. Um, it's not just slow, but it, you know, it it feels wrong. It just does. It it feels as though I'm not reading a book. I'm reading a game. And do you think that is? Uh, and also, also, I don't notice this same trend that we have for like hard magic in fantasy novels now. Uh, it doesn't seem to be present at all the older the works are. And I'm curious if it is not um, tabletop games and video games that are responsible for the proliferation of this in the genre. Do you think that that's the culprit? I just don't know where it else might come from. That could be because because with the way a video game has to be designed it's, it's inevitable you're going to have to categorize things you know for, for like you said for balancing purposes um whereas if you're if you're trying to do a soft magic system in a game it could work where you'd have a, where you could have, to have just a handful of powers that the hero is capable of but you'd, 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 you'd inevitably have to at the very least tie it to a mana bar or something and then make them upgradable or yeah, as for uh, yeah, you could you could be on point with that. I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not well read enough to give a argument one way or the other. Um, I mean, yeah, it's to be honest, I could I could be better read. I'm getting better reading more novels all the time. But uh, but no, I think because you know if you think of how a soft magic system works, you could do it in a tabletop game if you had a really great group of players. Right, where you could trust each other to invent spells and things uh, and negotiate out how they're going to work in the game. Um, but if you do that, like the, what's going to end up happening, I think, is if you end up with any sort of player versus player conflict and they're going to want it to be adjudicatable in some numeric fashion, okay, all of a sudden now everything has to get harder right away. Right. And the reason why is because it, there's a desire for it to not be uh, an arbitrary judgment. Uh, and, and there's a desire that go back to that will to power between the two players. We're in conflict with one another. Each of our wills uh, is a desire to succeed over the other. How are we going to come to terms with this? And because it's a game um, that is really divorced from any, let's say, almost any action, right? Like a lot of these games, it's very difficult to involve skill. You could do like a little bit of tactics-based stuff, but it ends up being very simplistic. And um, the more complicated you make it, the slower and clunkier, particular tabletop games it gets. So then you end up just, you end up with these hard number systems and that solves a lot of your problems. Uh, but also it's not really magic, right? At that, it becomes less and less and less magical the more we start to incorporate numbers, and it becomes interchangeable with something that isn't magical, right? Like uh, the fireball spell is not really that different than a grenade. Yeah, right. Well, in terms of like, uh, if you're playing a game, right? Like if you if you reskinned either tabletop or video game characters and one shot a fireball out and it did fire damage and the other threw a grenade and uh, let's say it's particularly not a fragmentation grenade but like some type of um, what's the word for it there is a word for this uh, incendiary, white incendiary there we go incendiary grenade uh, thank you Brad 
yeah, it, it would effectively like you wouldn't have to make it any different. Uh, you know, uh, in fact, if you're playing Dark Souls, you could throw a firebomb, which is an oil pot with a like a lit rag, or you could throw a fireball using the pyromancy spell and is like is it different really like you throw a thing it does fire damage when it hits the enemy that's i think when the harder the magic system gets that that's what we're reducing uh to now in a game maybe that's okay because you're there for the game for other reasons and that's perhaps getting into a different conversation but when it comes to a novel you don't have those other reasons not really um and yet these things are so popular why do you think that is why the hard magic systems are so popular? Yeah, like like I I'm even ghostwriting for a lit RPG, and I just like disparaged the whole. Um, I guess we could call it a subgenre. I would call it a setting, but that doesn't matter, right? But like they're they're definitely really popular. Go on Amazon, you can see tons of them everywhere. Um, a ton of fantasy novels, like the Mistborn series for Brandon Sanderson, is famous for using a very hard magic system. Um, so, and Brandon Sanderson is a very popular author, and I imagine he uses such type of hard magic systems in his other works. Um, they seem to be they seem to sell well, yet in the way that we've discussed them, they seem to not be good for literature and good for games. So, why is it that they're selling well? Actually, appeal maybe maybe they're so popular among. Um... They might be popular among starting writers because, again, like I said before, they want to get they they think they're going to get on top of the uh, of the expanding out of control problem. They think they're going to impose the imposing limitations on it is going to work. It could just it could just be they're getting lost in world building. It could just be simple escapism, wish fulfillment, whatever. I don't want to play armchair psychologist and say, oh, Brandon Sanderson is doing this 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 or that thing, and. How he expresses these symbols in his stories and what the purpose of that is that that's a whole rabbit hole i'm just not prepared to delve down honestly neither am i i need to need to read more of his work um yeah like the only thing i can come up with is that these things remind a lot of readers uh of the th- other things that they like right so like the lit rpg one is easy like tons of people play these video games they want to read about uh, a char- they would essentially live vicariously through a character who succeeds through being good at a video game. The video games use hard magic systems, uh, therefore that works. Uh, I have another idea, because there's another note that I wrote down here that I can't believe I missed this whole like hour of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so soft magic, I think is open-ended problem solving whereas hard magic is closed-ended problem solving um are you familiar with the terms open-ended problem and closed-ended problem solving i've not heard them before but i think i can kind of intuit what they mean go ahead and give me your impression it would have to do with how many different solutions you have to the problem that's in front of you i would think it does go on well not to put you on the spot then uh, you are right. Yeah. It does have to have to do with the number. Uh, but with a closed-ended problem, essentially you have a, a limitation not just of um, options but of potential solutions. Like the, the, the win condition is a predetermined goal or one of a very few predetermined goals. And the pathways to get there are therefore much more restrictive. Whereas 
if it's an open-ended problem, in part, you kind of decide what the problem is, and you kind of you. It's really up to you to determine whether or not that problem is resolved, um, and therefore the pathways, in a sense, are infinite insofar as the goal can move, and the goal is also not determined for you. And I think real life, like real real life, is an open-ended problem. And I and I think I have like all of the existentialists to kind of back that up, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't have anyone asking like, what is the purpose of being, right? Like, why why am I on this earth? What is my goal? Like, you know, but I think as we, particularly in the modern day, you know, we go through school. School is a closed-ended problem. You need to get these grades. You need to pass these tests. You need to write these papers in this way. This is how you do it. You succeed. All right. Like uh, work often for most people is a series of closed-ended problems, right? You do the task. The task is either done or not done. Some people are lucky. You could say that we are lucky. You could also say that we are unfortunate if we are able to pursue, let's say, some type of career as authors because that's an open-ended problem, right? Because you could say like, yeah, you need to write books that like sell, but like not really. It's like you need to write books that you actually want to keep writing. And maybe your goal just isn't to sell. Maybe your goal is to uh, write things that impact people in a deep way. Like maybe your goal is to have a legacy. So after you die that you're considered a great author. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh yeah, life is an open-ended thing. It's not just, do I make money or do I not? Uh, but a lot of the times it's not that, right? Like you go into a corporate office, it's like maybe that's all you're thinking. And, you know, when you play a game, games have to uh, be closed-ended problems because you can't, you know, maybe AI will change this, but you can't have a game with an open-ended problem solving because you can't program for that. To and account so, for an infinite, infinite number of variables and an infinite number of, number of outcomes. And that's just, as far as I understand it, that's just not doable. Yeah, that's exactly it. But that's our that's like the world we live in now, right? Like our entertainment is all closed ended problems solving. Most of our work experiences that our school experiences that uh, increasingly our life experiences that because if you have a family, that's an open ended problem that gets complicated fast. But if you're an atomized individual where really you just need to eat and be sheltered, oh. That's a closed-ended problem. That's easy. Do you have a roof over your head? Yes. Like, are you getting enough food to not starve to death? Yes. Um, I think that we have become accustomed to the restriction of possible goals, and therefore our minds are geared toward and get pleasure from seeking um, essentially different forms of system mastery and that the hard magic in these particular types of fantasy stories appeals to that, right? It appeals to the person who wants to feel like, yes, I can figure out or understand how these systems work. Therefore, I can achieve success. It very well be the case. Yeah, and I find it to be very different than, let's say, I don't know, if you go read um, Oedipus Rex, like, what's what's the goal, right? Like, okay, ostensibly the goal is to find out whoever cursed the city and then exile him, except when you find out that, like, maybe it's you 
and you're the person who cursed the city for the thing that you did. And then now, like, how do you make a redemption for it? Like, all of a sudden, you're hard. You see what I mean? Like, there's there's something unlifelike about the... Well, actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I shouldn't say that hard magic is not representative of life. It's it is very representative of the modern like of modernity. That's kind of spooky. I don't know. I might be going off on a limb here. I've gone off many limbs, it seems. The hanging man from the tree. I wonder if it's if it's the, just the case that hard magic is an attempt to understand the unknowable and soft magic is an acknowledgement that we can't understand the unknowable. I mean, I would say yes to that on impulse. I might modify it. How about I like soft magic, the the the, the acquis or relinquishing of trying to know that which cannot be known, right? That's like the Tao, right? The Tao that can be named is not the true Tao, meaning like we can't know that is which is because we are trapped within our perceptions, and therefore that which is outside is always going to be outside. But instead of a hard, I don't think hard magic is an attempt to know that. I think that hard magic is the assumption that we do. Or the assumption that we can. I don't think it's can. I think it's do, right? Like, uh, have you ever talked to the really annoying, um, very, let's say, ostensibly science-minded person? So this would be like your um, secular... Uh, progressive person who has an extreme highly high degree of uh, education, particularly in the sciences. Uh, I don't really know many people like that in in real life. Uh, well, if you have the fortune or misfortune to talk to such a person, um, what you'll find is they will speak as though they are they think like scientists. They don't. Right. So they are able to perform the procedure that is uh, required of their work, uh, but they are otherwise utterly arrogant in all their other thinking, and they have no actual sense of skepticism about them. Right. So, like, if they believe something, they believe it as firmly as if they have a mountain of research behind it and they they think that way because they they're like well i'm a scientist and i do scientific work therefore i must be the perfect rational being and therefore i don't have these silly uh you know superstitious monkey beliefs my beliefs are all predicated in facts um when in reality they make a number of assumptions they're not aware of um, typically, they are not philosophically sophisticated to understand the rationality used to derive information from the data. Like they, they have this weird thing where they just think the data speaks. And it's like, no, it doesn't, you dummy. That's why this part of your paper is <laughs> called an interpretation. Um, but yeah, that type of individual, it's like there's, they'll say to you, like, I am trying to strive after uh, the truth. But then when you ask them what they think, there is like no doubt. Like none at all. It's like they, they're, they're, uh, they're Gnostics of their, their beliefs. Mm. And I think 
like when I think of hard magic, that's what that's like. Like if X, then Y, or if X plus Y, then Z. And I know that that's the case and I understand it and I can control it with consistency. But again, maybe I'm just bashing hard magic way more than I should. All right, Brad, we, I think we've stretched this conversation um, as far as we're going to be able to, um, unless there's, there's something else that I missed that you want to cover. Um, not that comes to mind. I think I had most of what I had to say, bumbled my way through it. <laughs> All right, friends, fellow philosophers, we will wrap this up. Uh, do not forget to check out uh, Brad's work on uh, Codename Wraith over on Minds and uh, King's Wrath. I got it right that time, yes? Yes, well done. Yeah, King's Wrath over on YouTube. Give them a thousand likes, subscribes, share their samples, uh, scream at them to get out of their stalling period and and make more music. Um, Just help us find a fucking singer. Help them find a singer. Uh, <laughs> desperately, desperately help them find a singer. Uh, I want to see their music out there uh, so I can purchase it and uh, see them play live and all kinds of fun things. Uh, also, go check out wildoutlit.com, particularly check out uh, the editing service if you are interested. I'm really excited about being able now to offer subscriptions. I think it can help quite a number of people um, really get these get their works done. I know it's very, you know, the long, arduous process of writing a novel and developing skill. Uh, is miserable by yourself, so you don't have to do it alone. Uh, also, I should have mentioned at the beginning, maybe I'll add a little bit about this uh, in post. Uh, I'm going to be relaunching my Kickstarter campaign uh, to fund a bunch of book covers uh, that I wanted to fund before, and I didn't get it, so I'm going to go harder this time and ask for more. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, the pre-launch page is up. Uh, if you know how to find me on social media, You'll see it. I'll be promoting it until you're sick of hearing about it. Uh, but it'll be great because I know a couple authors who are not authors. Well, they all one is an author actually, but also artists um, who are excellent. And I want to put money in their pockets to commission their work so that they can further their careers. So they can I can further my career and I can write more books. And then we can all be happier with our stories. So wildisolate.com. Keep up there. Sign up to my damn mailing list because I'm just going to email you guys this stuff and you won't miss it. Um, that's it. Um, thank you guys. Check out Brad's stuff and I will see you next time.